Welcome to the Jay and Pal Podcast Experience. Listening to the Che and Pav Show, Teachers Talking Teaching. We are two middle school teachers sharing our reflections and insights about the topics that matter the most in the classroom. Join us in the hallway, the parking lot, or even in the staff room. Welcome to episode 110 of the Che and Pav Show. Thank you for joining us as we sit around the table to talk teaching. It's a very special episode as today we celebrate the launch of the Magnificent Microphone, our very first picture book. We are super excited to share this journey with you today. So before we get into that conversation, we should introduce ourselves we are characters in our very own fairy tale. My name is Princess Pavwander, and I'm doing all the rescuing in this story. My fire-breathing dragon co-host is sitting next to me, and he'll introduce himself. Whoa, Jay's hanging tough. <laughs> but that's like useless in comparison to <laughs> that wonderful prose beforehand. That surprised me. I was like, what is she doing? This is brilliant. What am I supposed to follow that up with? I was half hoping that you had done something story related and it would have meshed. But I love the hanging tough intro. But it actually fits. What else yeah. do I do after that intro but that's, just hang tough? I'm that, hanging tough. That's how you breathe fire, Che. <laughs> that was magnificent. Thank you. you. Like that play? I do. Uh, Pav, you're right. This episode is um, about the Magnificent Microphone, our first picture book. And we are ex sort of excited to share the journey, but excited just in this whole, like, it's just a new space that we're a part of all mm -hmm. of a sudden. And, you know, we've had a couple of writing projects and a few articles, but never a space where you feel you could identify openly as an author. And maybe you could with being an active blog writer or contributing those articles and magazines, etc. But for us, it didn't feel like we were ready to make that statement yet. And so now I think we are very comfortable and confident to establish ourselves or to speak openly that, yeah, I'm an author. We're published authors. 
Absolutely. It is a little bit, it hits a little different when it's, uh, when it's everything is, I mean, you know, we didn't do the illustrations. Our wonderful friend, uh, Shauna Perkis illustrated the book for us and she did a magnificent job. So we cannot claim that we own every single part of this book, but the story, you know, from, from culmination, it, it feels, it's very close to our hearts and we feel really good that this is something that we can, um, you know, put out into the world as our story and, and just, you know, build upon it and, and talk about it and where did it come from and how did it arise and where does it plan to go from here? So there's lots, lots to this story and uh, we're very excited to talk to you about it today. Now we want to get there, Pav, but I'm yeah. looking down at our notes and that's it says, right. it says banter. Yes, that's very important. It says banter. It, it, nowhere does it indicate that nope. we're supposed to get into the content. Nope. And I, and I jotted down some things on banter as the episode started. I jotted down, I never tested the mic. Oh, so. so as the music was playing and, and it has a secondary comment, I just wrote, I didn't test this mic. <laughs> like I, either I'm so cavalier yeah. or I'm so naive or I'm so exhausted. I didn't even ponder to think maybe I should test to see if this thing was working. And of course, yeah. this, the podcast isn't live, but we do very little editing. We, yes. We love that natural feeling. And, and it reminded me as I jotted down here, I said, I need that intro. Because, yeah. Pav, you know, we've had, we, we love feedback on our podcast and some feedback lands well and sometimes it doesn't land so well. And, and sometimes we make the adjustments and sometimes we don't. But we've always been told to shorten the opening. Yeah. But we don't put the opening in post recording. Right. The opening plays for us off our roadcaster in the moment. And for me, I'm like, this is my bump, pump up song. Like, I need those beats. <laughs> yeah. So as that music's playing, I'm jotting down a few notes, getting in the rhythm. And so I j- jotted that down. One, I didn't actually test everything first. I just pushed record, listened to the music, made a few notes and got the flow going. And that was just there. So I was thinking, one, uh, I love that beat at the beginning. And it goes really well when it's just your voice. We haven't used the intro with just your voice in quite some time. You know, I was thinking that uh, it just sounds a little bit different. Like everything about it was a little bit different. I was just like, something's, something's off. And then I was, as I was listening, I go, I came in a little bit too late, you know, on that intro. And it was probably, the, I think it was the first one that we recorded that day Then we were when we were recording the new intros for the Chan Pav show. And I remember thinking, I think I went in a little bit late. So I was like, as we were listening, um, that thought that we hadn't actually tested the mics um, popped into my head as well. And I said, oh, well, it's too late now. We're just going to have to go with it. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking was all of the flaws in that intro. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, it was very funny. Definitely, we haven't used that one in a long time. As we were thinking about um, not testing things, it reminds me of being a veteran teacher Mm. and how comfortable you get, not necessarily testing everything before you try it in the classroom (laughs) and you live with the results. It reminds me of a young teacher being so fixated on sort of going through everything all the time. And now I wonder, you know what, I know I should go through everything, but sometimes I feel pretty confident in my game and I don't necessarily rehearse everything before I give it a go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's very, (laughs) we take a lot of liberties, I think, as experienced teachers. And you know what, why not? We, We should be able to do that. But um, I will start the lesson thinking um, I didn't do everything that I needed to do, but you know what? I'll get the kids to do it. <laughs> they love doing that stuff anyway. It, it brings me even to something like relationship building. Yeah. And you know, I, I we try to go in depth on what that actually means and how that actually manifests. But I've always felt that my classroom can absorb 
Yeah. Uh, maybe that's not the right vernacular. My missteps, because the relationships are strong, or they're they're or they're on a path of building, and that becomes part of that building path. And I, I often think sometimes that if I if I rely so heavily on having to construct the perfect episode, the perfect <laughs> lesson, then how fragile is keeping the class in, mm-hmm. in the right path when it's solely dependent on the lesson being perfect and how much stress right. we put ourselves to manifest that. So, you know, as a greater extension, that's how I make some educational connections there and, in and this section called banter. Also, you know, to play off of that too, there's there's a piece in that about authenticity. You know, it's it's a little bit about um, we're not always ready for everything, and I think it's nice for kids to be able to see that. That sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just we're just plain not ready for something, and then sometimes, uh, you know, a wrench gets thrown into the plans, and you have to shift something very quickly, and you have to turn and do something different that you didn't plan on uh, doing in the first place, and and all of a sudden, you know, everybody has to work together to get get an activity rolling or a lesson going, and there's nothing wrong with showing a little bit of vulnerability, and I need your help, everybody, and let's do this together let's shift to something else or can you help me with something because uh i'm just not ready so i appreciate your help on a further scale how much does our system trust teacher student to be able to to facilitate in that realm Mm -hmm. and i sometimes wonder if we're conditioned to not trust people in the sense that I'm not sure if a teacher should be operating that way. And certainly we've paid attention to some some states in the United States mandating, you know, lesson plans for an entire year. Mm. Let's assume attentions are great, but the founding principle here is I don't trust what you're doing in your space or how you might deviate in a right. lesson in order to to allow that to manifest. So we try to cut it out right from the beginning. And of course you want to plan great lessons. And of course you want to be in tune with the latest pedagogies and methodologies but we also need to trust our instincts trust our experiences trust the personalized pd that so many teachers invest in that that manifests in their ability to curate and deviate and take on things in 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 the moment mm-hmm. and sometimes i wonder in this in this world of teaching that maybe that's something that is less valued and I have no empirical data to suggest that, but just a sense is there's less value in what teachers can do and manifest and construct in and of the moment with the skills and the energy of the room. And there's a lot more inherent reliability or dependability or necessity to ensure that we're always doing everything by a rule and regulation that can be completely and utterly predicted and monitored and, and referred back to six years later to know what I was teaching at 1023 and exactly what I said at 1026 and knew what assessment I use at ten twenty nine. Great point. That's a great. <laughs> I got lucky, eh? Because I'm hanging to. Because you're hanging to. Path, you know, we've also got a couple other big things coming up. Yes, we do. Uh, one, we finally got back to the gym. Yeah, that's right. Which was a great feeling because it's been two and a half years since we've been to the gym so that was really nice how do these machines work i know i was like scanning the little uh qr codes on the machines like how does this one work again i don't even remember and beyond that path that's fun yeah. but we also have you know along with the magnificent microphone it seems like a lot of great things are, yeah. are, are have been coming our way lately and we've really been humbled and um feeling really good about that but we have another big um 
I guess presentation is probably, you know, an understatement, an understatement <laughs> but I, that's because I want you to deliver the great news uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. So we know that if people are new to our space and our, our conversation, maybe this is the first episode you're sampling because of where we're going that's in, right. in a couple of weeks. Please share. On, on May 2nd, uh, Che and myself will be keynoting the Digital IT Summit in Saskatchewan uh, for the Saskatchewan Teachers Federation. And that is... Huge for us, and not only will be will we be keynoting uh, this con the opening keynote address to this conference, but we will also be um, there for two breakout sessions throughout the day, and uh, we are extremely grateful, extremely humbled to be invited out to Saskatoon for this incredible event. We hear it's magnificent. We have never participated before, but we are so excited to be there, um, and we get to actually be there. Um, you know, we haven't traveled in so long and we've been doing so many really great uh, presentations virtually over the last two years. Um, and so this will be one of our first um, actual in-person events uh, since starting the podcast and since starting all of these wonderful presentations that we've been doing. So, yes, absolutely very exciting to be presenting at the Digital IT Summit on May 2nd in Saskatchewan. And I'll need to pull out my graduation suit <laughs> that I have not needed in three years. That's right. You got to get that dry cleaned. I guess I will. It's probably folded up in a plastic bag somewhere. It's in a plastic I'll, bag. I'll track it down. I'll track it down. <laughs> All right. We'll be back in one moment. Hello world, Brian Aspinall from Codebreaker EDU, and you are listening to the Che and Pab Show. Thank you, Brian, and of course, it is now time for how did we get to this topic today? And of course, the release of the book is just the, the great moment or the right moment to bring this episode up. But Pav, I'll bring the their anecdote back to when did this really, I won't necessarily say become a thing, but when it became a conversation between us and Brian and Daphne that this is somewhere we would love to go and we would love to collaborate with each other. And Pav, you talked about that at the beginning of we've been doing a lot of virtual summits in the mm -hmm. last three years. Mm -hmm. And one of those great summits was uh, the Codebreaker Summit, where we presented on podcasting. Now, we have two sort of variations of our podcast content. We have our the how-to, the, the instructional videos, the where you go to find stuff. But we also have sort of our connection to the emotional journey of podcasting. How did this manifest bring us up, rise, raise us up, and bring us into that sort of building our capacities? And that's sort of the emotional journey of podcasting. And that was the presentation we gave. And it was so warmly received that when the presentation was done, I believe now, you know, Brian may tell me I'm wrong. He may say we reached out, but I believe he reached out and just with some positive feedback said that was some really good energy. How can we keep this energy going? And it brought up this conversation with the four of us. Well, we sort of have this idea. We, we'd like to be we'd like to do a, a kid's book. I want kids is the wrong term, you know, a picture book. We're not really sure where, but is this something that maybe we could we could dive into? And and Brian and Daphne were in immediacy, not necessarily explicit details, but absolutely we can do this. Let's give this a go. Let's stay connected and let, let's see what, what ideas you have. Bring them to us and we'll go from there. And so obviously we were already connected with 
uh, the Codebreaker EDU, and we already had had chats with Brian and Daphne, but it never had manifested as a even a, a seed to grow into something further as a writing project. And it was that great energy at the Codebreaker Summit. Uh, that great enthusiasm for the participants, our great enthusiasm to to present, that just said, we want to keep this collaboration going. And mm. I think that's a, the fruit of great collaborations. You don't always know where it's going to go, <laughs> like our opening. You don't that's always right. know where it's going to go, <laughs> but you can feel a vibe in the room. That's right. And, and it's tough for me to be in a room where the, where someone else has more energy. And it's tough because Brian's got a lot more energy than I do. Brian does have a lot of energy. And it is the two of you. When we are finally in the same room together, I don't know what I'm going to have to wear, like body armor or something just, you know, to protect myself. But yes, lots of energy um, and and definitely a lot of excitement around this project. And and we I know that we had a lot of ideas buzzing and uh, and they were very open to just hearing what we wanted to do and supporting us a hundred percent along the way so you know whatever we shifted our story a couple of times and thought about you know what do we want to write about first where should this go um and and so the magnificent microphone sort of is a little bit of an um a fictional origin story although there are many pieces in the story that are uh that are that are true um, but it kind of tells the story of how Che and Pav started their podcast um, as if they were children and they they made a really great discovery, which Che and I did make a great discovery, but perhaps not in the same context as uh, Che and Pava's children. So uh, yeah, definitely a wonderful little beginning point. And we thought it was a natural place for us to start this writing journey uh, with this story. Pav, can I, I, I have many places I wanted to talk about, but yeah. when we were talking about story and characters we actually didn't have ourselves as the characters no, in didn't. an original version and i remember having a conversation saying well, what are the characters names going to be we, we want to think of something maybe original maybe something a little catchy maybe a name that you don't see all the time and then we looked at yeah like maybe che and pav <laughs> like maybe che and pav <laughs> that that might work hey eh? it's names that everyone doesn't totally come across all the time and so in in it manifested right away from that point that we were so desperate to try to find maybe new and sort of original and just sort of catchy names. We, we totally just didn't use our own. But then when we shifted back and said, well, why don't we use Che and Pav? It shifted back the course of our real lives being sort of a mentor text mm -hmm. to how we could write this uh, picture book. And I think when it comes back to being a mentor text, yeah, the sort of the podcast personalities of Che and Pav. But we, we've documented our sort of our growth and our capacity. And, and Pava, I jotted my notes down is that the book almost reflects on a smaller scale or a more accessible scale or a different type of accessibility uh, are some of our one words. Yeah. And our one word sort of our, our driving force for the last two years have been to amplify. And then uh, in the extension of amplify, we realized there was a, there was a greater need or a, a more pressing need for us to be more responsive, we, we sort of took on a more uh, moral and ethically driven content, or we felt we should, like, because uh, after a few years, the podcast had built some steam. We had an audience, and so you had to be responsive to the audience, where you could say the first three episodes, it was solely just about us, which was also our first one word. Mm -hmm. And so I, I sort of jotted this down that once we shifted to our names and our names became sort of the talking point, we then went back to our one words. How would the story reflect one words 
those one words as a theme. And so we use the podcasting theme. But podcasting isn't just about being sort of a radio star. It's really about sharing stories and sharing identity and honoring oral communication. And that became sort of a, a foundational component. And so the idea of the podcast becomes amplifying voices, but it's about amplifying voices that typically aren't amplified. Right. And, and Pav, I don't know if you want to jump in before I sort of curate over to yeah. responsive, but if you want to talk on that amplified. I, I did want to talk a little yeah. bit about that just because um, when it comes to ourselves as characters uh, in the story and ourselves just as people behind the characters who are, you know, who these characters are based on, uh, Che and myself um, have always positioned ourselves as just simply two teachers. We, there's nothing extraordinary about us, but, um, you know, we've, we've each had very different upbringings in different parts of, uh, Ontario. And, and we sort of were able to bring together those differences that we had to, to create something together. And, um, and I think that that is a very important theme, um, that represents, very clearly in the story that we have to tell as well. Che and Pav as children have very different upbringings and very different reasons for wanting their voices to be amplified or needing their voices to be acknowledged and amplified. And, uh, and so I think that that was a really important piece um, to the character building of this story as well, is that not everybody has the same reasons for wanting their stories to be told Hold, or needing their their voices to be heard or having the choices in being able to differentiate the way that they demonstrate their learning. Um, there, there are many different ways that that comes about in real life, um, as it has for us, for Che and myself. Um, and we, we felt like that was really important to reflect in this story as well. So, um, just that whole idea that, you know, Che has, uh, you know, child Che has this very different lifestyle to Pav and um and then that sort of you know manifests in coming together and and creating this something that we don't know what's going to happen yet but but there's something there there's this little bit of spark that's created because both of them share one thing and that one thing is them uh feeling the need to have their voices amplified when they didn't really feel like they were being amplified before so i just wanted to add that piece in as we uh as we move forward that's a great piece pav and i love how you brought up that different folks have different reasons for needing that voice amplified or to avoid erasureism and it, i'm just glad you brought that up because it actually leads in nicely to the responsive component and i know um a lot of our growth and learning has been through anti-racism and disruption. And we know we've been, we felt the need to be responsive because we position ourselves or we don't position ourselves. We are positioned in a space and maybe we are positioning ourselves. We teach in a racialized community. And so these realities are daily and, and you don't get to, and even as a white male, I guess at, at some point I can always sort of disengage whether I want to or not. And I think that's one of the things you learn as a white male, but um, in a community where the the entire community is racialized. You don't really don't get to disengage. Your anti-racism work just isn't about bringing in diverse texts. Yeah. It's a little different than that. And and you made a wonderful message about the book about um, wh why it was so important 
to represent your faith, your culture in a certain lens. And, I'll, and I'm sort of just I'm spoon, not spoon feeding, like I'm just re- <laughs> retelling something great you already said, but I hope you retell it here because, you know, we always talk about making sure all stories are heard. And then we make sure about talking about not talking through deficit lens, talking through asset lens. But then how are we using, even in an asset lens, how are we acknowledging and bringing forth rich and diverse cultures? And I think you really attested that there was something really important about this story on how you wanted to present yourself. And please elaborate on that because it really comes down to the underlying theme of the story really about being responsive, uh, inclusive work or an attempt to be responsive in our inclusive work and in our anti-racist position, please. Yeah, I I think that um, there has been some really great work in the past few years of of representing diversity in, in storybooks and in picture books. Um, but something that I have been seeing a lot of is that these picture books will, the plot will center around the diversity. It will, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a beautiful thing. Um, but a dream of mine has always been to just see diversity as in, in the characters that are in picture books, in movies, um, and we're starting to see this a little bit more that are just, they're just regular characters. There's nothing different about them. They are, they are, they make up the, the characters that are in this story and they just happen to all look very different from one another. And so for myself, um, it was really important for me to be a person of color as a protagonist in this story, but the story plot itself doesn't have to look it doesn't have to do with why I look different or why I have a different faith or why the people in my family are wearing clothes that are different from maybe what the, what the, what the dominant culture is at the time. Uh, and so, you know, at me as a child, when I was growing up, that was not the case. Um, my family looked different. Um, our skin color was not the same as everybody else's. Our food was not the same as everybody else's. This was something that was completely, we were, we stood out. And I think that that's something that's very important to me. And it means a lot to me in this story is that the characters that myself and my family portray in this story don't necessarily bring attention to themselves as I, you know, this is why we're here. This is why we're wearing what we're wearing. This is why we speak the language that we speak. This is why we eat the food that we do. We are normalized as characters, as protagonists in the story. And, and that was something that was very, very important to me. Just, you know, seeing more of that rich diversity in storybooks, um, being represented without it having to do with, the particular clothes that we're wearing. So the, the plot of this story doesn't have to do with me and my family. The plot of this story has to do with the podcast and how it came to life or, you know, just how our voices got amplified. Um, and my family happens to be there as characters in this story. And it was really, really meaningful to me, um, to be able to do that. Beautiful. And, and I hadn't thought of it in that extent. Like I, like even within sort of, uh, using that asset framework, there's still, and you, like you said, you weren't trying to make a hierarchy of it. You were just saying there's a space for all these different ways to use an asset lens. And so you're, it it, it just dawned on me that I hadn't really seen that as we were working through the text, but when you made the message afterwards that this is why it was important to you, I felt that that's great learning for me. Mm -hmm. And I think when you think about 
writing stories, as we talked a little bit about theme, is it, why do you write? Why do you write? And Pav, you know, we're, we've engaged in a few other writing projects and, and you can be, um, the anxiety can build when you're fixating on who you're writing for. Mm-hmm. And of course, as teachers, we always talk, about, know your audience, know your audience, know your audience. But at some point, fixating solely on the audience can sometimes uh, take away from the joy and, and what you're trying to accomplish in what you're writing. And I think you have to find this flow because you can't just dismiss the audience. But we did have a little bit of play of where we wanted this book to land. Um, did we want it for primary? Did we want it for junior? Did we want it for middle school? And I think in our original plan, I'm rambling a little bit here, we wanted a, a, a as middle school teachers, we've been become huge proponents of picture books for middle school learning. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to construct a book that facilitated that. And I think we're probably, I, I would assume we're probably in that four or five is like the the perfect level, mm-hmm. and, but it, it's still a great story for younger students and still also very accessible for older students, also depending on what theme you want to right. uh, touch into. But I come back to this, Pav, is that when you're writing, the when you're finding you're hitting those roadblocks, you're getting stuck the ultimate reminder is you're writing the book for you. Mm-hmm. And so when we released it, and it's been released now for almost 24 hours, yes. and we've had some real good fun on Twitter, and it's been really exciting to see Brian and Daphne and Codebreaker really help elevate us and, and, and put us in a space on Amazon where, where, you know what? In 30 years, we can come back and say, on this day, we were number one yeah. on Amazon bestsellers. And on this day, we were number one and two yeah. on Amazon bestseller with the Kindle version. And and you you sort of, you can fix it on that. But back to the core, that we're, we're really proud of this. Is, this is our story. We wrote this. We wrote this for us. And even if no one, even if this story doesn't land on 10 people or 20 people, it lands on us. It resonates on us. It becomes similar to a podcast. You have archived who you are, how you were feeling, what you were thinking in that moment, and no one can ever take that away from you. And in that journey of writing for you is the journey of self-actualization. And when we think about servant leadership and helping folks and being a great teacher, you can't do that if you don't know who you are. And we often trivialize how easy it is to just know who you are. You know how difficult it is to know who you are? It's difficult. And so the journey of podcasting, the journey of blogging, the journey of writing articles, the journey of writing a, a, a children's book put us in a space to better understand who we are. So I come back to that theme of if you're struggling to sort of put this all together and who are you going to reach and who are you going to connect with, connect with yourself. That's right. Right for you. The stress tends to alleviate when you stop worrying about those things. And then in the journey, if I bring this back to Codebreaker and Brian and Daphne, those supports will be there that'll help you connect those stories to who they know. People will connect with those stories. And and Pap, I'll come back to Brian and Daphne just again, just for a quick second, because we talked about how much emotional support they were. But they're also, you know what, we've had this conversation on many themes. They also have foundational knowledge that allows them to be the emotional support because they know they can be the technical support. I know where I can do this. I know where I can do that. Daphne was so good on the editing. Well, if you're thinking of younger children, like this, this is the, the the terminology, this is the vernacular they'll connect to. Here's where you could have a, a pre, a a post activity rather than just saying, just write the book. They were back into the teaching. How would this land on a primary teacher or, or on a primary student? And that feedback was great. So as much as Brian Daphne, 
company can give you that emotional support. They also bring you the expertise to guide you through it. So you don't feel you've got to worry about all these extra things. And when you get fixated on writing the book for you, they'll be there to fill in some of those gaps to guide you in spaces and connect you with folks that are going to appreciate that story. And that was so crucial for us. That was so crucial because being middle school teachers, um, you know, we try to make the story as accessible to every grade level as possible, you know, as a read aloud, if not, you know, it is a little bit of a lengthier uh, book, but um, but, you know, in thinking of that language, we tried as best as we could, but there are obviously places that we missed not having that, that experience as primary teachers. And so it was absolutely crucial uh, for that editing. And Daphne and Brian were so helpful for that. And I don't think that we would have been as successful. And everything, to be honest with you, just felt completely seamless. It just felt like, you know, if we ever had a question, there was an answer within a couple of hours for us. If we didn't know how to do something or we weren't sure about something, it was there for us. And that was, for our first time writing a picture book, that was absolutely necessary for us because there were some times we were like, uh, just, we don't know what to do. And, and Shauna, who is our illustrator, this was the first time that she had illustrated a picture book. And so it was a huge learning curve for us as well. And we made a couple of mistakes along the way. And we did a few things that we weren't sure we were going to be able to do. And, you know, sometimes things backfired and we're like, oops, we have to kind of rejig some things. Um, you know, one of, I guess one of those little things, a uh, little inside joke for us is there are several um, pieces of art in that storybook that were not meant to be in the, <laughs> in the book at all. They were, you know, potential covers that we now use something else um, because it just wouldn't work for a cover and there was just you know it there was so much in there that was learning for us so you know just looking at the book on a technical side technical point of view um, there are little things in there that I will always remember that oh yeah this was supposed to be the cover but it was done in the wrong format and there was no room to put the title and you know just all of these things that we didn't know how to do before we started on this project so um, all in all, just such a wonderful, wonderful experience. I think this is a great time to talk about Shauna and her artwork because mm -hmm. you can't have a picture book without a great artist, a flexible artist, an artist that's committed to multiple versions and multiple mistakes from our end. Yes, from our uh, end. <laughs> and I know in this digital age, there are many amazing artists that are able to master that digital space. But one thing that we were, many reasons we were drawn to Shauna. One, there's the personal connection. Mm -hmm. There's a personal connection to three teachers teaching out of Rexdale. Yeah. And we, we do love that teacher connection. And, 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 and a further extension is this craft on traditional art. I don't even want to say traditional, like, uh, watercolors. It's just, it's, it was, it, when she was drawing, she was sketching out her first original plans. We love the authenticity of a watercolor painting to, to be, but, the art. to be the art but you realize there's no wiggle room for mistakes you can't just go back and redo it because you're working on your ipad sketch pen and so there's there's i guess a little bit more working pressure to sort of make this work and so we joked about the cover but the cover probably went through three or four different variations mm -hmm. one of those mistakes was you know just not as inexperienced all three of us being inexperienced and new and fresh didn't 
consider sizing and we didn't consider you had to add the title later like we knew the title had to go on but you didn't pick on how this would actually fit in there yeah. and it, it required multi as you said multiple different pieces to do that cover and so shauna worked extensively to create all these masterpieces over and over and she was so open how do you like this text messages all the time with little pictures how's this going how's this going and on many levels one because it's three teachers all teaching for rexdale it's got that special connection mm-hmm. it's got that special connection because it there's something i don't even i don't again i'm not trying to make a hierarchy of how to do art but there's something personal about someone that paints you mm-hmm. that 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 lands really well that lands like right in the you know a heart maybe it's the left or right side i have to go back to the wizard of oz <laughs> to figure that out um <laughs> If he only had a brain, na 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 da 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 da. Okay, can we get back to the story, please? Yes. So Shauna and her art, um, and so I, as you brought that up, I just thought it was critical to just because it's already in the notes to just highlight when you're thinking maybe if you want to make your picture book mm-hmm. you have to secure an artist and, and you want to have one that i don't want to say you have to have a personal connection because you may not want to but you certainly have to have a vibe and you have to have a gel and you have to realize that that, that relationship is going to have ebbs and flows as you try to work through and navigate things through your story and so it was a blessing to have shauna being the artist and be able to share in the journey of this being new for her at the same time. Yeah. And, and, you know, when it came to Shauna, we gave her a lot of, we gave her complete free reign. Actually, the only thing that she asked us uh, was what do you want to be wearing? And so uh, we kind of gave her a little couple of ideas on colors and things that, you know, are, are meaningful colors to us. And, and she went from there and she developed us as characters. She kind of created these caricatures of us and of, um, you know, of particular for particularly for myself, my family. And that was a big deal for me because um, we went through a few minor iterations of what my family looked like. But uh, but she did such an amazing job with that so much so that when my mom saw the picture of us sitting in the kitchen where all of us are represented um you know my mom was like that looks just like our kitchen and that looks just like me washing all the dishes after you fools eat all of your dinner <laughs> and put me to work and doing the dishes that was an exact quote for that her. was an exact, exact quote. quote exact quote um but yeah just everything and and it was just such a, it was beautiful to see um us from somebody else's eyes you know and and that can go in in a couple of different ways but for myself I was touched um by the way that we were represented and so respectfully and tastefully and artfully um and I completely agree Che when when it's when it's someone who is painting and we have all of the 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 work on the can on the paper that's there for us you know and we're kind of thinking how are we going to honor this artwork uh you know it needs to be framed so many of these pieces are just you know they're beautiful I would any one of them I would love to put up in a frame and just hang on my wall and so um we you know we're so touched that we have all of these hard copies now of all of this art and it's and it's there for us to always go back and look at and we want to just be able to honor it as much as we can and so um um, yeah, I mean, all just so beautiful and so meaningful. And and the fact that Shauna is a friend of ours, um, it makes it that much more meaningful that we, we can all go through this process together. Beautifully stated. 
I think it's time for a commercial. And then maybe, Pav, come back and just talk about what's in uh, line for the future. Mm-hmm. What do we have sort of planned with this? Uh, where do we want to take this story and this, this book a little further um, now that we're literally within the first 24 hours of its release? So let's mm-hmm. dive into a commercial and then uh, we'll come right back. And you're listening to The Chain Path Show. And this episode is brought to you by dry erase markers, but the kind that lasts for more than seven minutes. And we'll be right back. Hello world, Brian Aspinall from Codebreaker EDU, and you are listening to the Che and Pab Show. There's no place like the Che and Pav Show. There's no place like the Che and Pav Show. There's no place like the Che and Pav Show. It's a twister! <laughs> it's a twister. <laughs> and welcome back. Uh... <laughs> How many times did you watch that movie when you were young? Um, or now, I guess. You know, we've, we've talked about on the Chain Pass show that my grandparents, who I spent so much time with as youth, had, uh, in my youth, had Back to the Future on cassette. Yeah. But they also had... The Wizard of Oz. On cassette. Mm-hmm. And so it's been watched many times. And I remember my brother and I buying the CD, when CDs were tough to get, okay. of the soundtrack of that from my mother. Oh, that's nice. Very lovely. Yeah, so don't don't tell anyone. I don't I don't my reputation is not nice. No, not if at you all. had five words to describe Che, nice is not in them, or I won't allow it to be in them. Do you have ruby red slippers? Well yeah, I play baseball. <laughs> of course, who doesn't have fancy red cleats? What a, as your mom would say, what a foolish question that what a was. Foolish question. Of course, I've got fancy red shoes. Uh, welcome back to Chain Pav Show, and we've been talking about um, the magnificent microphone, hot and fresh off the presses, and in Kindle also. So I guess it's not a press. Uh, but Pav, we want to wrap up with a couple of other things. So, where do we want to go with this? And it sort of ties into what we already know is coming up with this. And I'll bring this back to our themes. And there's many different themes, agency, voice, choice, uh, the inclusion. Um, and one of those tying back to our words was responsive. And with all our learning, we've learned a lot on language and accessibility and being mm-hmm. seen. And so when we cr- curated this book, um, it was known right almost, I wouldn't, I won't say right away, but as we started to build and, and as just our overall teaching capacities continued to build, especially in anti-racism and again, and then positioning ourselves or identifying the position we're in, teaching in a richly diverse community, it became really apparent that having this book solely in English mm-hmm. just wasn't completely responsive right. to anti-racism work or to the communities in which we teach. Yeah. And so we had a quick conversation that did not last too long. That was, and it didn't last too long with Brian and Daphne either. It's like, this book can't, can't just be in English. It's like we're removing ourselves from the community in which we teach in. Yeah. And the ability to write this book, as much as it's about the podcast, it's really about teaching in Rexdale. 
And so how are we going to continue to honor that space? It's not about getting out of Rexdale. It's about being ingrained in Rexdale even further in the communion we teach. And so, Pav, we made language crucial to having this book translated into multiple languages. I remember how frustrated I was a few months ago um, as I was rummaging through the literacy room, through the library, looking for books that were written in Urdu so that I could uh, utilize stories with, uh, with a couple of students in the school that really needed that support, that really needed narratives in Urdu so that we could, you know, so that we could be all doing the same thing together because the narratives that we had in English were just n- not going to be adequate enough for me to be able to teach uh, what we were th- what we were talking about themes and main ideas and summaries working in English was just not going to work for this particular teaching and when we think about you know how we are differentiating for our students and how we are reaching them on different levels for me that was a big deal and you know maybe it was there are some of these resources in the school I just didn't know where to find them and in that moment I didn't know where to go to get those resources and get them for that moment. Um, I felt this real level of frustration. I wish I could just get my hands on something. And it was that that kind of led me to, you know, led us to have this conversation of, how can we make this book more accessible? How can we make this book so that, you know, despite the lessons that we produce that are going to be coming in English to go alongside with this content, you know, how can this book also be made accessible for people who are learning in other languages? Or even beyond that, if if I look at myself and my children, we don't own, and, and this is completely on my part, like this is my bad. I don't own very many books that are in Punjabi. I don't own very many books at home that I can read to my children in our own native tongue. And for that, um, I, I feel pretty guilty, but at the same time, you know, I, I need a little bit more variety. I need stories that my children can connect with. And how amazing would it be for us to have a book that their mom wrote that is also in their own language? And that that to me is very special. And I would love uh, to be able to do that as well. So that that kind of was some of the some of the reasons why we felt like it was going to be very important for us to uh, be completely responsive and have this book out in multiple languages. So Pav, I'll get you to share um, some of those uh, names we have and some of the causes we are um, connected to in relation to translating the book into our first wave of different languages. But as you were talking, it reminded that a lot of our theme has also come because a lot of our learning has come from the anti-racist uh, book club reads podcast on Voicehead Radio with Kalinda Klein. And when you listen to her narrative, she often talks about some of the guilt she has felt, and maybe, maybe, maybe she didn't use those words. So I don't want to say she's said those words explicitly. This is how what she said landed on me, and how it's generated learning from me. And so she felt a sense of guilt or um, uh, regret on not being fluent in her uh, language. 
mm-hmm. and that she wished she had known it more, wished she could speak it, wished she could read it. And this played into this notion of when we constantly curate you to, to dive into the English space, how much are we erasing your culture? Because language is crucial to your culture, which is something we've learned extensively from Clinda Klein, Pamela Agawa, that also talked about that. When you, that when you eliminate language, you mm-hmm. in fact eliminate culture. And so this also was really ingrained in what we were trying to do was make sure that we are honoring culture. And so I think that was a a, a point that just I was thinking of that as you were speaking on the the value or the the I don't want to say regret of not having Punjabi books for you and the boys. Yeah, no, there is a little bit of regret, but there's also that that piece of, uh, you know, access and exposure Um, you know, I know that there are some great books out there. And so that's why I said a lot of it is on me to be, you know, doing the research and getting those books. Um, but also having that accessibility and having those books available and having a book that children will take and pick up and say, I want this one, because not only is it in English, but it's in Punjabi too. So that was really important. But yes, as you mentioned, we, we do have, uh, we have secured a French translation, Punjabi translation, um, Urdu and Tamil, and um, and we're really excited to be able to translate in those languages. So we have Shyama Sundar, who is going to be helping us out with the tra- Tamil translation. Monsieur Steve Massa, who we just spoke to a couple of weeks ago, is going to be helping us out with French, and Rabia Kokar is going to be assisting us with Urdu. And so we're really excited to be able to do that, and uh, we'd love to expand those languages as well as much as we can, because we know that beyond our area and beyond the the area that we teach, um, even within our area, we're not touching on all of the languages that are represented. It's a, it's a matter of, you know, having access to people who can read and write the language enough to be able to translate for us. So there's that piece. And then beyond our own community and our own neighborhood, we know that there are many languages that we are not, um, we are not touching upon. And so we would love to be able to expand into many other languages as well. I'd love for you to tell a little bit about the Punjabi translation that's coming and the connections we are uh, forging. Forging might be, again, the wrong word. Uh, The collaboration we are manifesting with that. Yeah, so uh, Save a Food Bank is a um, is a huge food bank that's out of Mississauga, Ontario, and um, they serve a, a huge community. I believe there are two locations now um, in the GTA, and um, and we have been working with them to secure a translation w- in conjunction with the Save a Food Bank, and so with that, uh, the proceeds, our the profits that Che and I would be making would be donated to the food bank um, for that for the sale of the Punjabi language book and so we're working with them and we haven't quite secured a translator with Seva yet but uh, we're waiting on that to, to come through in the next couple of days and of course we will announce that when it does but we're very excited and we're also very excited to then take the profits from that book uh, the sales of that book and, and give them right back to the community where it is needed and at this time we know 
know that food banks are are really, um, you know, experiencing a shortage of donations. It's a very difficult time. And so anything that we can do to sort of assist with um, with helping out with the food bank, that is definitely something that we would love to do. So um, that is something that's coming up as well. And we're really excited for that collaboration and so grateful uh, that they are open and willing to work with us uh, with this book. So thank you to Save a Food Bank. Pab, it, this is a... When I think of our growth, this is where we as teachers have grown, because maybe three years ago, it would have been enough to say we wrote a book that we think is under the theme of inclusion. But, and as Tony Kornheiser would say, there's always a but, but what else are you doing? Mm -hmm. And what are you doing that's maybe more measurable? What else are you doing that's really impacting the community? I don't want to say the book wouldn't impact the community, but I would probably attest that this is a, a, a greater impact and we're in a position and our growth is on that journey that just writing a book that we felt um, supported the anti-racist learning that we've done wasn't enough. How could we really make direct impacts? And so uh, we feel really proud about uh, our learning and how it's demonstrated through the, this decision. And so we're really excited to get those books out in multiple different languages. Pav, what else is coming up with the stories that uh, I'll come back to when we were debriefing of what age we wanted to hit. And the the Che and Pav, the Magnificent Microphone, is certainly going to be a series. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to follow the journey of Che and Pav as they get older. We set the book with you and I in grade four and five because we did in one of our manifestations that it was going to be three three books us in primary, us in junior, us in middle school. Mm-hmm. And we were going to follow sort of that that timeline. And I think that's still roughly in the plan, except we just started a little later. I think mostly because we were middle school teachers and that was our comfort zone was curating a book that was relatively close to that age. And our experiences weren't enough in the primary to know to hit that age right from the get-go. Although, Pav, as you would state, the book is still very accessible for young kids. Just how would you use it? You wouldn't necessarily read it in the first 10 minutes of the morning. Right. It's a little bit more in depth than that in terms of length. Right. Um, But we're excited to know that we're committed to a series. We want to have a series. We want the characters of Chan Pav to grow and thus their growth will dictate the themes we will touch upon a much in regards to the same theme of agency and advocacy and disruption. And so Mm -hmm. we're looking to show how this podcast of Chan Pav will demonstrate of making more connections, making more global connections, taking on greater responsibility and being active disruptors. And so we're excited about where this project will continue and how the story will continue to evolve. And we really hope that you enjoy the Magnificent Microphone and and, and it connects with you and it resonates with your students. And I think, Pav, that's sort of, oh, there's one more, eh? We got, it's, we got to talk about the Easter eggs. <laughs> the Easter eggs. That's right. Almost forgot about the Easter eggs. Uh, this is a fun one because Che and I put um, a number of things in the storyline and in the artwork and just in the book in general that, you know, may not make sense to you if, if you don't know Che and Pav very well. But if you do know Che and Pav very well, you might have a little bit of a chuckle. You might laugh alongside with us in the story, or you might just be like, hey, I know that because, you know, I follow Che and Pav and their content. Uh, and so it might hit a little bit differently if you're reading the story and th- you know us. I think that's the better way to put it. It'll hit differently. You, you won't lose anything not no, knowing it, but no. some of the expressions, you're like, oh, I've heard this before. Is that on a 
podcast? Was that in an article? Was, yeah. was that live on the drive? I think so. Oh, wait, was this a theme on the drive? There's all kinds of really fun Easter eggs. I, I actually thought they said, this might be the greatest autobiography I've ever written. <laughs> It's very true. <laughs> no, it's a great story. Um, it's actually one that I really enjoy going back and reading and rereading because there are these little things in there that are just little nuggets, little personal pieces about myself, but also little things about us that I'm so proud of and, and definitely a few pieces in there that make me laugh every time I go back and read. So um, I love the story. Um, I hope that everybody else loves the story as well. And I'm, I'm just, it's just something that we're so proud of, uh, in general. So, um, very grateful. And, and this episode has just really been an opportunity for us to share what that journey, the writing journey has been like, the producing of this book journey has been like, and just to express so much gratitude for, for Brian and Daphne and the Codebreaker EDU, uh, for Shauna Perkis, our incredible illustrator, and for everybody who has just shown so much immediate support of this book um, as, as we've only released it. It's, it hasn't even been two days since it's been out. So thank you, everyone. You said that great. I think I'll go to a swag bag. Yeah, I uh, think that's a great idea. Yeah. Let's push the button. <laughs> let's do it. Because I've been known to push buttons. You push so many. <laughs> this is true. There might be an Easter egg about that in the, the book, The Magnificent <laughs> Microphone. Maybe. Um, Pav and I, of course, are not definitive experts on how to write of a picture not. book. But one thing we've sort of come across in our swag bag along this journey and maybe something lands importantly with you and maybe something doesn't. But this is just what our lived experience has told us is when you commit to that story, go for it. Keep it personal. Have that personal connection. It'll keep you connected to the task. Sit on it and not like a reference to the happy days. Uh, <laughs> pause, reflect. The story will manifest and change. There is no race. I put here in the swag bag, Drop some Easter eggs. Keep it fun with the crowd. Have a little thing here because that'll always build some and keep some excitement with you as the author. Artist. Artist is key. Um, whether you want to connect with someone you know or reach out with people and then finding a right vibe with that artist, not necessarily how well they draw. And certainly this is something you need to work out if you want to draw a picture book because there are monetary concerns. And Pav and I and Shauna, we're lucky that we all know each other. So we've all gone in this together as one, but that's not always the conditions in place. So certainly you want to have an artist you vibe with, but there's, there's a technical component that you need to work out. And then uh, as Pav alluded to, you have to have a support as much as in this world you can self-publish. It's a little daunting and it's a bit of a silo and it's really important to have encouragers, but it's equally important to have people that know what's going on and can really help and really guide and take your focus that can be deviated back to your story, back to your book, back to connecting with the folks around you that you know are going to resonate with your story. And so we've had a lot of fun talking about The Magnificent Microphone. It's been really fun this weekend for us to, to have our first book published. There's been a lot of goosebumps, uh, a lot of toasting of champagne, and we're really excited to, to continue this journey as Pav authors as authors as published authors yes thank you everyone so much for all of your support through this entire journey and uh, we hope you enjoyed this uh, little deeper look into our first picture book 
The Magnificent Microphone. You've been listening to episode 110 of The Chain Pav Show. We bring in our talents to Saskatchewan. Oh, yeah. <laughs>